Okay, Luke chapter 24. And uh, I want to talk about what in the world happened today. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. What's so special about the first day of the week? Notice chapter 24 and verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. Something happened on the first day of the week. Now, in case you've forgotten, today is Sunday. It has, from time immemorial, it has been known as the first day of the week. Now, our banks don't agree with that. Businesses don't like that. They call Saturday the weekend, Sunday the weekend, but that's not true. As a matter of fact, it's always been where Sunday was the first day of the week and Saturday was the last day of the week. And that's what come. The Bible talks about the, the last day, the Sabbath day, being always on Saturday. Now, it was on this very day that something very big happened. Uh, something marvelous. Really, something unbelievable when you think about it. It was something so big, it's basically silly to, to say that you believe it. It's actually, probably if you get pushed, uh, it's something that is um, absurd, ir irrational, it's unbelievable that a very brutally murdered dead man would actually marvelously live again. See, um, uh, that's kind of crazy to, to actually claim to believe, but I believe it happened. And I'm not alone. There are countless millions across this world throughout history who have taken that step of faith and believed it. Not because we're just basically stupid. You may think we are to believe in such a thing. And it would seem like we'd be very foolish to believe that a dead man is alive again. And yet I believe with all my heart. And I believe with all my mind. I didn't switch off my brain when I came to church. So I've got three questions for you this morning. Number one. What is it that happened on this day, not on the Sabbath, not on Tuesday, not on Friday, but on the first day of the week that have us, that some of us are so convinced that it is true? What happened? Secondly, why did it change the whole world throughout all of history? Why did this first day of the week change everything? And thirdly, why hasn't it changed you? Father, we bow our heads right now. We ask that you would please meet with us. And against all the plans of the devil, I pray that you would overrule and make a very clear presentation of the resurrection through your word and into hearts this morning. God, it's so easy to become numb. It's so easy to become settled in our life, especially in the Western world where we have almost everything we want. And when we don't, we can apply for an entitlement or we can get a loan, or we can put it on a credit card, or we can just go out and get it. But there's one thing we cannot get, and that is eternal life. Lord, and that had to be purchased by you. And I pray that, Lord, you'd strip us down this morning and make us realize what happened on this day, Sunday, the first day of the week. Let it change us a whole lot more. Somebody's in this room, comes and Sits and goes home the same every single Sunday. There are plenty of them. I was like that. It took me eight weeks before the penny dropped, and I realized, Lord, that Jesus died for me. Someone needs to believe that today. 
change their destiny, change their life, save their soul. Please, may we take it very serious what happened today, what we celebrate, why we celebrate it every Sunday. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we got to go to Acts now. Acts chapter 1. To the right, the same author of the Gospel of Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Verse 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Acts 1 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach, speaking of the Gospel of Luke, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, speaking of Jesus, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself. What's that next word? I heard three of you. Say it with me. Alive. He showed himself alive after his passion by many, what's that next word? Infallible truths, proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, infallible means provable, verifiable, beyond doubt or without a doubt. Now, most people today think that most people in history were easy believers most people look back in history and they, they think that people found it easy to believe the Bible and they just believed whatever Jesus taught. But you'd be wrong to think that skeptics are new. <laughs> that philosophy is something that they finally figured out in the 20th century. You'd be wrong to think that people were just plain stupid way back then. I have found that most modern people are some of the most foolish people I've ever met. There are people who believe in angels visiting them and talking to them. They believe that holy water can cure them. They believe in magical powers. They believe socialism is the answer to the world's problems instead of personal responsibility. They believe we all evolved from rocks and worms and monkeys, some more than others. Some people, well, many people today believe that the earth is flat. They believe that Hollywood is real, and they believe... The most incredibly unbelievable things, folks, stupidity spans all time. It just does. Don't sit there and go, well, those people in the Bible, it was easy for them. It was just as hard for them to believe it is for us. Now, God has never rejected anyone for being a skeptic. As a matter of fact, God expects us to think things through, to weigh the evidences, to reason things out, according to all the facts of that awful weekend so long ago. And I want to tell you about nine undeniable facts that you've got to face. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, to the right. Nine undeniable facts that prove that something unbelievable happened on this very day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. Fifteen seventeen says, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Down to verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We're going to look at nine undeniable facts that are drawn from the record. Not just one, not just two, three, but four eyewitnesses carried in your Gospels there. Facts that have to believe are you are of all men most miserable. Ladies, you're just wasting your time if these aren't true. Fact number one, someone named Jesus of Nazareth was wrongfully tried, convicted, tortured, and then murdered by the crucifixion. Go to John chapter 19. 
Gospel of John, chapter 19. Fact number one, nobody denies the fact that there was somebody named Jesus of Nazareth who was wrongfully tried, convicted, tortured, and then murdered by the awful process of crucifixion. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 16. Then delivered he, Pilate, him, Jesus, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and they led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, the place of death, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. I mean, we just read it, but that word to, to crucify somebody wasn't just a stab, wasn't just a, um, a, a strangulation. It was a process that took hours, if not days, and they crucified him. And two other with him on either side, one Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title, making sure everybody knew who this was what he was accused of, and put it on the cross. And, he, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, you say, well, he must have been guilty of something. Really? Look in chapter 18, look back just a few pages, maybe one page, chapter 18, verse 38, and listen, Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? Speaking to Jesus. Jesus is trying to tell him about truth, and Pilate, like a good politician, said, there's no such thing as truth. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Go to chapter 19, verse 4. Again, Pilate, Jesus is, is being thrust upon him. He's got to make a decision in verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Oh, behold, I bring him forth to you that, I, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. I find nothing that he's done wrong. One more, chapter 19, verse 6. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said unto him, You take him, take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. It is undeniable that three times Pilate had to constantly affirm, There's nothing wrong with this guy. I've never met a, a man that I couldn't find something wrong with. And this man, I can find no fault in him at all. And so when he was put on that cross, he was put on there not as a guilty man, not as a, not as a man who had had uh, been exposed as a, as a fraud and as a, as a sinner, as a, as a criminal, he was guiltless. He was innocent. It was a wrongful death according to, gov according to government law. Fact, un fact number one is undeniable. It happened, folks. It is recorded in the stones of history, not just in your Bible. The question is, do you believe it? Number two. His followers were completely taken by surprise and were discredited. What do I mean by that? Everything that Peter believed, everything that James and John had, had left their, their, their fishing boats for, and Matthew had left the, the tax collection um, income that he had, everything that they had risked their lives for now was gone when they took Jesus and they took him and they tried him and they put him on that cross. They were proven wrong as far as they were concerned. They were discredited. They were um, uh, embarrassed. Now, this goes against everything that we've taught, been taught. We would think that Jesus' disciples and his followers would have accepted whatever Jesus said. And yet, no matter how much Jesus warned them about what was going to happen in Jerusalem, Peter, of all people, couldn't believe it. Go to uh, Luke chapter 9. You're in John. Go back to the left. Find the gospel of Luke chapter 9. 
undeniable truth. Number two, his disciples were taken by surprise. Not that things were going swimmingly, everything was going peachy keen, everything's going fine, and then, whoop, here comes uh, Judas. No, it wasn't like that. What happened, Jesus warned them about. Luke chapter 9, verse 43. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone at all the things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, while they were so enthralled with being around this guy who could do anything, he said unto his disciples, verse 44, let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered in the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. Underline that word. They understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. They were scared to ask. Go to chapter 18. Still in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18 and verse 31. 18.31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished, and he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, turned over to him, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated and spitted upon, and they shall scourge him and put him to what? You can't get any clearer than that. He didn't speak in figurative language. He didn't try to smooth it over. He says, they're going to spit upon me. They're going to spitefully treat me. They're going to scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Verse 34, notice again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid for them. Neither knew they the things which were... that of which were spoken. Did you notice that none of his disciples accepted Jesus' words about his coming crucifixion to be true? Even at the Last Supper, there they are. It's kind of humorous. They're all gathered around. Jesus is, is, is taking the bread and taking the, the grape juice and taking that moment and trying to make it serious and saying, guys, I've been looking forward to this, but in just a few hours, I'm going to be betrayed by one of my closest friends. I'm going, to, I'm going to then be taken, and I'm going to be crucified. And somebody immediately says, yeah, but I get to sit on your right hand in the kingdom, right? Are you paying attention? Yeah, Lord, I'll be on the left. Nobody pay, Does anybody care what I'm saying tonight, Jesus said? Hmm. Instead of trying to fathom why Jesus would give up his life, they were arguing on who was going to be second in command. So when Jesus gets surrounded by that angry mob in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he lets them capture him, and then he stops Peter from trying to defend him. I mean, I'd like to have a friend named Peter. I wish I had him back when I was in secondary school. Because I was as skinny as they come, and any bully wanted to could just have fun with me. And I had one friend, his name was Emmanuel. Emmanuel, I called him Manuel. <laughs> but Emmanuel was a big Mexican. I loved him. <laughs> but I'd love to have a friend named Peter who'd love to stay. Oh, no, let anything happen to you, Lord. And Jesus said, put your sword away. I mean, it blew their minds. Then Jesus actually turned his hands forward and he let them bind him and then drag him out of that garden where he had been praying there in the darkest time of night. Drag him to be falsely accused. You know what was crazy? As he stood before Caiaphas, and as he stood before Herod, you know what he did? Nothing. 
He never defended himself. He never argued his, 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 uh, his doctrine. He just stood there. No wonder Peter walks away from Jesus going, I'm through with this. I'm not going to give my life for somebody like that. If he won't even stand up for himself, I'm not going to stand up for him. You understand where Peter was? At every stage of that last evening with his disciples, Jesus lost every follower he ever had. And he lost him to disbelief. Not one person who had walked with Jesus for those three and a half years continued to believe anything that Jesus had promised. They didn't believe anything was going to be fine again. They certainly didn't believe he was going to rise again. Fact number two is undeniable. It happened, folks. Now, I would, if I had written the Bible, I never would have written it that all of his disciples dumped him. I would have said, I, I certainly stood by him. You know, that's why I would have written it. But every last one of them were taken by surprise. And when Jesus walked willingly into that mob and they took him and they began to brutalize him and they began to beat him and they began to spit upon him and they stood him before Caiaphas and then before another high priest, Annas, and then before Pilate and then before uh, Caiaphas again and then back and forth seven times and then before the people. And Peter's saying, say something. And Jesus never said a thing. Took them all by surprise. Undeniable. Question is, do you believe it? Third uh, fact, the body of Jesus was verifiably dead. Back to John chapter 19. Gospel of not John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 31. I have no idea what's going on out there. We'll just have to ignore it. <laughs> John chapter 19, verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies on the cross, there were three of them up there, should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, which was coming. For, the, for that Sabbath day was a high day, not a Saturday, but a, it was a Thursday. They besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. They'd be killed that way. Then came the soldiers and they break the legs of the first. What's going on? Internal bleeding. I mean, you want to kill somebody, you break their leg, and the, the, there's, there's several major arteries that go through there, and you'll die within minutes. So they said, well, break their legs. But when they came to Jesus, verse 31, and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out blood and water. We'd say hemoglobin and plasma. We'd say the red part and the white part. It had already separated. He'd already been dead for a while. He was verifiably dead. Undeniable fact, he didn't faint on the cross. Are you with me? He didn't swoon. No, he died. He was verifiably dead on that cross. He then is uh, taken down from off that cross, carefully wrapped and buried in a borrowed tomb. And then it was sealed by Pilate. I can take you to all the scriptures, but we're going to get to a point here. They sealed that tomb. Pilate, the governor, makes sure that no one could tamper with that body and cause any more problems for him. He says, would you ever just bury the guy? Nobody denies these facts. 
No one doubts that Jesus died. Only a fool would say, no, he didn't really die, unless you're Muslim. He didn't really die. No, he died. It is undeniable. The question is, do you believe it? Third, fourth. Three horrible days and nights pass after that crucifixion. You think about it. Longest three days and three nights in history with no signs, no wonderful miracles occurring to encourage Jesus' followers. They were completely on their own. You got to think about it. There, was no there were no emergency medical responders there to try to resuscitate Jesus when he came off the cross. There was nothing there. There was no... There was no wink, wink from Jesus as they wrapped him up and put him in the tomb like, I'm still alive, buddies. He was dead, and then he was buried, and they put that stone over there, and the next 72 hours were the longest three days of history. Can you imagine being the disciples? Sitting in an upper room. I mean, Jerusalem must have been the quietest city ever imagined after that. Fact number four is undeniable. The question is, do you believe that he was in there three days and three nights, like I say? And I read you, go to Mark 8. I'm preaching, but I got to get you in the Bible. Mark 8. Mark 8, 31. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. I hate that word many there, but it's true. Must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days. You ever wonder how you get three days from Friday to Sunday? You don't. I, I know a lot of people have good Friday services. That's fine. You have whatever you want. Jesus died late. Uh, Wednesday evening, just for dusk. It takes three days to, 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 uh, to get to Sunday, folks. You can't fit three days from Friday night till Sunday morning. It doesn't work. Because it's after three days. And those three days, he reminded them and reminded them, and they couldn't comprehend it, and they had to wait and, and think everything's ruined. Folks, you know, when, when, when you've come to the end, and everything's failed, and everything's broken, and everything's ruined, and you want to die can't and you're just sitting there and you're not, there's nothing to look forward to they're not counting the hours they're not expecting jesus is going to get up the undeniable fact is this after christ died life died for them and they had to endure every single second from that moment on everything was gone every bit of joy every bit of reason of living those next three days 72 hours passed like you can't imagine Undeniable fact. They didn't go secretly to the room going, okay, guys, start the watch. All we need is 71 more hours, and he'll be... No, they had no hope. Number five. Then on the first day of the week. What day is that? Sunday. Long before sunrise, the tomb was found empty, and the body of Jesus was no longer there. Go to Mark chapter 16 now. Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, verse 1. 
when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. They, they saw the guys, Nicodemus and, jo and, and uh, Joseph Arimathea, bury him. And they says, men can't, men can't rap very well, so we'll go and, 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 and polish it off. They're, they're not coming to see him alive. They came to anoint him in his death. Verse 2, and very early in the morning, that first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, uh-oh, we forgot. Who's going to roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. So when it says they saw, they saw with their mouth open, going, it's already open. Verse 5, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. I like that was. <laughs> He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Now, folks, you want to find Muhammad's body? You can find it in Al-Majid Ad-Nabawi. That's the mosque of the prophet in the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia. Buddha's body, you'll find it. It's cremated ashes spread throughout temples over in, I can't pronounce the town in India. Confucius's body, you can find it in his hometown of Khufu, next to Tofu. In Shandong province, China. That was a joke. Number four, Sung Young Moon's body. You can find it in, I cannot pronounce this place in South Korea, uh, Gyeonggi province. Ron Hubbard, that's the guy who started Scientology. His body, his cremated ashes are scattered in the Pacific Ocean. Joseph Smith's body is buried at the Smith Family Cemetery in Nauvoo, Illinois, United States, south of Chicago. Mary Baker Glover Peter Peterson Eddy's body is buried in Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Massachusetts, United States. But Jesus? Well, you know, they've been searching for the last 2,000 years trying to find that thing. And they can't find it. You know why? Because it is not there. Fact number five is undeniable. The tube is empty. Nobody, you know, somebody said uh, Elon Musk did the perfect murder. It was a conspiracy. There's a joke. I said, can you imagine if he killed somebody or somebody killed somebody, put it in that rocket that he just launched with that car in there, and there's that, that dummy, and it had a real body in it. You can't find the body, so you can't convict him of crime. You guys are over the head. The point is this. You need a body if you're going to convict somebody of a murder. We can't find the body of Jesus. They looked for it. They went searching for it, and undeniably, it is true that the body is gone. Question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Number six, none of the disciples of Jesus expected him to ever be alive again. Look in chapter 16, verse 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven day devils. And she went out, she went and told them that it, that had been with him, his disciples, as they mourned and they wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive, were so excited, right? No, and that had been seen of her, and they believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked on the road to Damascus and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the leaven as they sat at meat and upbraided them and he rebuked them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. You know, the women who went early to the tomb there, 
Sunday morning, didn't expect him to be alive. They just want to make sure he was buried properly. Boy, when they came back and they started announcing he's alive, didn't believe it. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Peter and John run to get to the tomb and go check it out. And they look at it. When they walk away, they're going, something's not right here. <laughs> Where's the body? They didn't go. He's alive. No, at that point, they just couldn't believe it. Those two men walking on the road to Emmaus, they're listening to Jesus, but they wouldn't look up and go, you know, he looks familiar. <laughs> you know, listen, when you bury somebody, you don't expect to see him again, amen? So there, they're walking along. Yeah, yeah, he, he, you, you look like somebody we know. But anyway, go on. What's this about believing in the resurrection? Think about Thomas. Uh, I'll talk about it in a second, but Thomas certainly didn't believe that Jesus would ever live again. The fact is, none of, his, of Jesus' great disciples and apostles expected Jesus to get up out of that horrible and dark tomb. Yet he did. The question is, do you believe it? Jesus actually showed himself alive over and over and over for the next 40 days. Look there in verse 14. We read it. But look again, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. He actually appeared there and he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Verse 19 now. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat on the right hand of God. They watched this guy, Jesus, show himself first to the women at, uh, at, the, at the garden tomb. And then, as I said, uh, Peter and John, and then to all the disciples in the upper room. And um, uh, then I just, I think probably one of the greatest, I, you know, it's nice to be proven wrong. Amen? I would have liked to have seen Thomas just fall to his knees going, you're alive. I never would have believed it. But the undeniable fact is this, Jesus showed himself aright. These guys didn't just get together saying, guys, we got to pick ourselves up. Guys, this is very depressing. Our, our Messiah's dead, but maybe we could make up something and sort of encourage the world to still believe in him. No way. They were so totally devastated. There was no reason to believe anything that Jesus had said. There was no reason to, to try and, and live this Christian life anymore. He spoke uh, over 500 people before he, resurrect, uh, before he ascended there in verse 18. Lastly, he showed himself to one other man, Saul of Tarsus. And I'll talk about him in a few seconds here. But Saul was one of Jesus' most hateful enemies. Look in Acts, Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 2. Here was Saul of Tarsus who hated Jesus probably more than any other human being in history. Here you're going to read in just a few moments how he constantly admitted he had been wrong about Jesus and that Jesus was indeed the Son of God risen from the dead. Look at verse 2, 17 verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, now he's been saved, he's been converted. As his manner was, he went in unto the other Jews, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging and proving that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Look in verse, chapter 25, verse 13. Acts 25, in verse 13. 
And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had begun, been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause, because Paul was in a prisoner at that point. He declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix. Jump down to verse 18. Against whom, when the accusers stood up, they brought none accus accusation of things as I suppose. I thought they were going to accuse him of sedition. I thought they were going to accuse him of treason. I thought they were going to accuse him of thievery or of, of murder. No. This was the accusation, verse 19. But certain, but he had certain questions against him. They had certain questions against him of their own superstition. Of one guy named Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul, what's did he say now? He affirmed was alive. This guy's going around saying that Jesus is alive. You know, the truth is this. Jesus showed himself alive over and over and over. He convinced some most ardent opposers, which leads me to my number eight point. All the unbelief of all the disciples was gloriously overruled on that morning of the first day of the week. Go back to Acts chapter 8. Show you the proof of this thing. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Like I said, it's just, it's just good sometimes to be proven wrong. The same disciples who had lost absolutely all their faith. You ever been so discouraged? You wonder, do I even still just believe? Do I even just try to believe? Why do I read my Bible when it is just so hard to believe? You ever been there? Every Christian gets there. You're not alone. These disciples who had lost absolutely all their faith and all their hope of what Jesus had said, they all became believers again. It wasn't a 50-50, you know, half of them followed Jesus and half of them did it. It says every last disciple's loss of faith was overturned on the resurrection day. Go there in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul... Before he got converted, Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. He just had murdered Stephen. At that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And, there were, and they were all scattered abroad. And you would run too if rocks were being thrown at you. <laughs> they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Why would you preach about somebody who's dead? Do you ever think about that? Uh, I, 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 just, I just sit in, in awe of uh, these lives that were, that were so timid were instantly, let me leave that there, were instantly transformed from fearful, hesitant, confused skeptics to being fully convinced fanatics. I was. I wonder about some people. I mean, Eric and I just sit and we just go, how come we're the weird ones that just so believe what we read in this book? These guys were so convinced that they were willing to die just for saying that Jesus was alive. Now think about it. They never tried to die just for preaching. I know. They were being hunted and being scattered and being slaughtered for preaching that Jesus is alive. See, there's a difference. There were people 
throughout history who've been willing to die simply because they fully believe the unbelievable, that a dead man had by himself got up from the grave and is alive forevermore. The question is, do you believe it? Number nine. Jesus' most critical opponents became his most ardent preachers. I think of Jesus' half-brother, James. If you read in John chapter 7, James is one of his, his, his stepbrothers. I mean, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph had more kids, okay? So these guys who had grown up with Jesus were not believers in Jesus, it says in John chapter 7. As a matter of fact, when, when Jesus is staying back from going to Jerusalem, and uh, the, for, for um, uh, the Passover, um, Jesus says, I'm not going to go today. And they'll go, well, why don't you go? Because they knew that the Pharisees were going to kill him. So they were pushed, Jesus, why don't you go on down there? Maybe you'll, you know, a rock will hit you or two. James, his own half-brother, wanted Jesus dead. And yet James ends up writing the gospel, well, not the gospel, but the book of James. He becomes transformed. What would do that? What could actually take somebody who really wants your own family member dead to where now James becomes the second martyr of the Christian church when Herod beheads him? That's his own stepbrother. Now, actually, I apologize. That was the apostle James. I get ahead of myself. But James gave everything to live for Christ after the resurrection. How about a guy, as I said there, Saul of Tarsus? You know, he was so fierce and hateful against the name of Jesus, and yet he became one of the most, one of the, one of the weirdest and greatest risk-takers of all time. If anybody lived on the edge, Paul did. He risked his life and health just to tell another soul, all because he believed Jesus was alive. There's one time he's preaching outside, of, just on the edge of a town, and all the people gathered around, and they stone him, and everybody thinks he's dead. They drag him out to, outside of the city limits, and, and Paul gets up, and the disciples are like, you okay? And he says, yeah, let's go back in. The very same place that he had just been stoned, something has Saul of Tarsus so converted, he says, maybe I'll really die this time. I don't know what's going through his head, but it didn't bother him. The resurrection got to him. Would you agree? It got to him. I read of a man named Lee Stroll. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, this is uh, uh, Peter Hutch uh, Hutchins, Christopher Hutchins' brother. Now, Peter Hutchins was not a Christian. actually grew up just like his brother, Christopher Hitchens. I said Hitchens. Uh, both of them were like two peas in a pod. They just hated God. They hated religion. They hated Christianity. And then something happened to Peter. You know what it was? Somebody gave him the gospel. Somebody confronted him with the truth and said, you better check this thing out. And Peter, late in life, got saved and became a great debater for Christianity. That's Peter. His brother I mean, talk about a thorn of the flesh to his brother. Amen. There's another guy, modern guy, named Lee Strobel. He had a, a journalism degree, journalism degree from the University of Missouri and a Master of Studies in Law degree from Yale Law School. He became a journalist for the Chicago Tribune and worked for other newspapers for 14 years as an atheist. He said that he even claims, he says, I was an atheist when I began inv investigating the biblical claims about Christ after my wife's conversion. Amen. Sometimes a bad man needs a good woman. And as he studied and he looked at all the evidence, it prompted the results of his investigation, prompted him to become a Christian, and he puts the date down November 8th, 1981. Amen. He wrote four tremendous books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, 
the case for a creator and the case for the real Jesus. This guy is still alive, Lee Strobel. You know, some of the most ardent opponents of Jesus Christ, one of the, one of the facts of the resurrection is it changed them, amen? The question is, do you believe it? Hmm. I have to put myself in there because I was born and grew up as a sinner. I grew up without faith, without God. I mocked religions, and I especially mocked fanatics. You ever find yourself doing that? You ever see somebody so dedicated and you go, what an idiot. And yet somebody shook my life to a core on a, on a late Saturday night, gave me a gospel tract, said, if I didn't get born again, I'd go to hell. And I said, who gives you the right? Who do you think you are? She said, you better check it out because your destiny is at stake. You know what I did? I didn't believe her. I didn't believe the tract. I didn't believe anything. I sat in church and I let somebody upset me. He got me so mad that I went and I got my own Bible. And I started looking up some of these things. I asked him, and he says, prove to me that Jesus is alive. And I'm telling you, the kind of messages I heard those eight weeks before I got saved just were like they were hand-tailored for me. Answered all my questions. Then on the 15th of June, 1980, I joined with the band. You say, you must have been born up and raised in a Christian home. No, no. I was raised in an in a, in a ungodly home, in a home messed up. I had, I had no idea who God was. I didn't think he cared about me. I came to find out he does. Here's your conclusion. I know it's hard to believe that God would take our place under the righteous wrath and judgment that we deserve and yet he would die. And then he would unbelievably rise again. Well, what's even harder to believe? That's hard enough. That he wants us. That he actually invites absolutely every sinful man, woman, and child to receive a free gift he's now given. It's called eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. You can't, can't earn it. You can't explain it. You can't dissect it. You can't analyze it. You just got to go, thank you. God made it this way so that you'd have to believe one of two things. You have to believe something, folks. You either have to believe that you're so smart and you're so good and you have nothing to worry about, or that you're so sinful and wicked and you need a savior of your soul. You need somebody who beats sin and death so he could prove that he can save a wretch like you and like me. Amen. You either believe one of those two, you either came in here thinking you were good and you'll go out of here thinking I'm fine. Or you came in here thinking you were doing fine, but you need some help, and you come to find out you don't just need help. You need Jesus Christ to save your lost soul. God made it that way so that you have to decide, you have to believe something, which one is it going to be? You'll move, but finally you start to take the facts and you believe them. See, the facts are staggering. I didn't give you one, two. I gave you nine undeniable facts that all were just exploded on that first day of the week. Somebody says, why do you have church on Sunday? Because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. We can have church any day we want. I'd love to have church all week long sometime. Amen. But we have it mainly on Sunday simply because it's the best day. It's his day. All that happened for a Sunday. 
The greatest proof, you say, prove to me God is alive. Prove to me Jesus is risen. Well, the greatest proof of the life of Jesus is found in the transformed lives of those who just believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of people believe in Jesus, but they don't believe he's alive. They believe in their head, oh yeah, I believe the Bible, but they don't trust him. They've never moved from head to heart. There's nothing wrong with having all the facts in your head. But listen to me, you must be believed with all your heart. You see, let me ask you the same three questions I started off with. Number one, what is it that happened on this day? This day, Sunday, that some of us are so convinced that it is true. What happened? Secondly, why did it change the world throughout history? Because it shakes us to the core. It is not just another religious leader. It's not just the death or the unfortunate death of, it's he got up again. Amen? Number three, why hasn't it changed you? Why hasn't it changed you? I'll tell you why. There's only one reason. Because all the facts about Jesus mean nothing until they're believed. Go to two more scriptures. John cha oh, sorry, Romans chapter 10. You're in Acts. Look to the right. We're through. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, can you say it? And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. Go to chapter uh, 4. Go back to chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, it will be transferred to our account, his righteousness in place of our sin. To us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see how that's in there? If we believe it, who was delivered for all our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Folks, I mean you need to believe with all your heart. I need you to believe it. It's told, um, well, I'll... How do, you how do you define believing with all your heart? I just know we don't. I mean, we believe a little bit. We'll do lip service. We'll do a little bit of time on Sunday, but we don't believe it. If you believe it, something happens to you. Some things don't matter. Career doesn't matter anymore. You know, your health, your plans, your house, your, 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 um, your family, just starts to fade. Not that you hate it all, not that you just don't work, but that they don't matter. What matters is he's alive, and I get to be with him, and I'm going to live for him now. I mean, there's just something that ought to just grip us, and we say, I believe it. You know, when you come to that place, like that thief on the cross who looked at Jesus, hearing the other man, just vile, spitting out such venom and such hatred against Jesus, saying, if you really are the son of God, why don't you get us down from here? You're a fraud. You're a faker, Jesus. And the other man says, shut up. We deserve to be here, but he'd done nothing wrong. And then he says to Jesus, says, you're not dying. You're going to a kingdom. I believe you're going to live. When you get into that kingdom, could you get me in? Jesus said, you're in. Today thou shalt be with me. Because that thief with nothing else to hold on to could believe. 
Don't you wait till you're at the end. Don't you wait till you're in a car wreck. Don't you wait till you're in the hospital or until all your ducks in a row because you may not have a chance. You need to believe with all your heart now to where when the Lord steps in and says, hey, it might cost you everything, but let's go. I got a life for you to live now. If I died for you, will you live for me? Father, I just, I just come before you. I just, over and over, I've asked you to help us to really, really believe these undeniable facts. And the facts wouldn't be facts anymore, but they'd be transformed into a different life. It starts with being born again, that new birth, that, that act of faith that just cries out from a desperate cry of, I believe. I don't understand it all, but I know it's undeniable what Jesus did, who he was. Now I believe. Lord, I thank you that you gave me the gospel 37 years ago. I'm glad it's still fresh. I'm glad it's still being preached. I'm glad it's here today. And there's nobody here who shouldn't be here. No accident. It would just be wonderful if somebody said, I need you, Lord Jesus. I've been trying to put you in my back pocket and you belong in my heart. I've been trying to put you on a, on a shelf and try to keep you there until I need you when I need you to breathe. I need you just to live. I need you to, to give me a reason to live. Father, we just bow before you and thank you for the life that's in Jesus. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for the first day of the week. There's something big about this day. Yeah, it's Easter. Yeah, it's Resurrection Sunday. But every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And we never, ever get over it. In Jesus' name, amen.